All right, well, let's open our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Today I want to share with you a message that I have entitled, Concerning Spiritual Gifts. Now, we are moving on from 2 Peter chapter 1, as I promised you that we would do eventually. And today is the day where we move on uh, from this, uh, from 2 Peter and we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're about to begin a short series uh, focusing on spiritual gifts in the church. And as I told you before, it's important that we know about spiritual gifts, what the Bible says about it, so that we can minister perhaps to our fullest in the local church. And I'm looking forward to discovering more and more about spiritual gifts as we work our way through this. So today's passage that I'll read is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll read verses 1 through 7. I'd like to invite you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. I'm reading from the uh, New King James Version uh, this morning. This is the Word of the Lord for us today. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that You were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. May the Lord's blessings be upon His Word to our hearts, and may we take heed to this Word as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Let us pray. Father, come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Father, I come to you on behalf of a people who are a needy people. Every one of us here today. Lord, we, we need you, we need your Son, and we need your Spirit. And now as we look into this uh, topic of the gifts of the Spirit, or the spiritual gifts, Father, I pray that your Word would be pl- clearly proclaimed. And I ask you to help me to do that. Father, we're not interested in anything except for what your word teaches and what your word says. So I ask you, Father, today, please won't you give me grace to deliver your word to your people. And Father, I pray that you would give your people grace today that they might hear your word as those who um, desire it and hunger for it and thirst. Father, I pray that you would give us the desire of our heart today concerning yourself. And Lord, I pray that as according to the way in which we 
hope in you and hope in your word. I pray, Lord, that you would have mercy upon us in the ways in which we fail, God, please. Please, in the ways in which we do not long for you, please. Lord, in in the ways in which we are preoccupied and care more for the things of this world than for the things of God, please, Lord, please forgive us. But leave us not just forgiven, Lord, please change us. Change our hearts. And give us grace, O Lord, that we may serve you with reverence and godly fear, for we know that our God is a consuming fire. Lord, as I've prayed often, I pray here again, let your word run swiftly and be glorified among us. O God, we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose merit, in in whose person we come to you as our mediator, the one mediator, between God and man. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, spiritual gifts. We're just going to jump right into it today. I have a, There's handouts that have been given to you, and I have a few points that I want to work through uh, from this text that I hope will be beneficial to us and helpful in understanding it. 1 Corinthians 12 is really the, one of the, the key passages, I suppose, in the New Testament when it comes to studying spiritual gifts. There are other locations uh, where you can go and find out about spiritual gifts. I'm rarely, probably not even going to mention those this morning. We're going to try to focus right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because this is the key passage. The Corinthians uh, were quite interested, as we will see, in spiritual gifts. But we'll see this first of all, that concerning spiritual gifts, there is uh, ignorance about the gifts. You can actually see that right there in verse 1. The apostle writes to them, and he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, to be ignorant means to lack knowledge. He doesn't want them to be ignoramuses when it comes to the spiritual gifts. He wants them to know something. You know, when you think about spiritual gifts and ignorance, you might look at this, and I've broken it up into two ways. There's actually a Corinthian arrogance that is ignorance. It's not that they didn't know anything about spiritual gifts. They were quite well informed when it came to spiritual gifts, so much so that they were arrogant about them. And they wanted their spiritual gift to be seen in the congregation above others. They wanted to receive uh, recognition because of their spiritual giftedness. You know, that's why the Apostle Paul would take and write in chapter 14 about prophecy in tongues. And he would spend a good portion of that chapter just dealing with those two gifts. Back in chapter 1, we see that it is said to them in, let's see, in verse 7, he says, so that you come short in no gift. He mentions gifts right off the bat in the writing, in writing to the Corinthians. And then in the love chapter of chapter 13 that you and I are probably quite familiar with, in verse 2, he, or verse 1, he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And then in verse 2, he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So he is dealing there with spiritual gifts in that very location. And he continues to do so in verse 8. He says, Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. 
Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. So he is dealing with, in chapter 13, spiritual gifts. And he's showing them that love is superior to all of the spiritual gifts. And you can practice all of this giftedness that the Spirit of God gives you. But if you have not love, you're nothing. It doesn't matter even if you give your body to be burned. Now... So there's that Corinthian arrogance that we see in this book, and it is it is sort of going to be um, fall behind some of these verses that Paul writes here in chapter twelve. But we also see a conservative avoidance. If you have Corinthian arrogance, the opposite of that is a conservative avoidance. Spiritual gifts, oh. No, no, we don't want, we don't want to talk about that. We are conservative. When we come to the Bible, we don't want anything that might look like we're a little bit charismatic or getting a little bit excited. Let's stay away from that. So there's this conservative avoidance. NLBC, our goal here in, in this entire study that we're about to embark on, that we are embarking on today, is that we would not be ignorant, but that we would be biblically informed concerning this topic of spiritual gifts. Because like I've told you about everything else that we look at in the Bible, it doesn't matter what our opinion is. It doesn't matter how we think it ought to be. It doesn't matter how the church down the street thinks it ought to be. And it doesn't matter how it used to be in the past. All that matters right now is what the Word of God God says, and that we're seeking to live that out as a church. We are continuing to be reformed as a church and be the people of God according to His Word. Like that ancient prayer that I've grown to love and I've shared with you more than once now, I I remind you of. The prayer goes like this, from the cowardice that shrinks from new truth, from the laziness that is content with half-truth, from the arrogance that thinks it knows all truth, God of truth, deliver us. So there is an ignorance about spiritual gifts, but there's also humility in the gifts. If I were to fill that out more, I would say that there is humility in receiving the gifts. You see this in verse 2, because he writes to the Corinthians here, he says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Now, it seems to be a little unusual that Paul would take it there. He tells them not to be ignorant. He doesn't want them to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And then he begins to remind them uh, who they were. They were Gentiles carried away these dumb idols, however they were led. When you think about spiritual gifts and humility in receiving the gifts, you need to remember it's a gift. You didn't do anything to deserve it. So we should not boast about a gift that is given to us. We should boast in the giver. He would say to them in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, What do you have that you did not receive? So he reminds them that they have received from the Lord. So they were to remember what they were. Paul reminds them they were Gentiles. They were the ones who were going about after these, after these dumb idols. They were just being led around, following them. Whatever one seemed right at the time, they would follow it. Now this isn't new. Uh, this isn't something that he just now introduces. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, you'll see that the apostle deals with this already. And then in chapter 10. And this is actually our memory verse that's coming out today at 12 o'clock uh, on your cell phones. If your number is in uh, ShareFaith Connect, then you receive the text messages every week. 
that remind you of the memory verse that we're sending out. And it's verse 6 is the one for today. But if we pick up at verse 3 in 1 Corinthians 8, he says, But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, and he's here probably talking about the spiritual invisible realm, principalities and powers, um, the host of wickedness and heavenly places. So that's who he's referring to in verse 5. But then he goes on in verse 6 and says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. Verse 7, However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. Now if you go over to verse chapter 10, in um, he begins to talk about the Lord's Supper here, actually. But if you see in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body for we all partake of that one bread. And then you drop down to verse 20. Um, let's go ahead and read it all. Verse 18. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything. Or what is offered to idols is anything. Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. And not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? So he's talked about idolatry. And now he's talking about when you worship an idol, you're worshiping as well the demon that lies behind that idol. And now he comes in chapter 12, verse 2, and he says, You were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. And the idols of the New Testament are just like the idols of the Old Testament. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. You see, Paul saying, you Corinthians were dumb, just like the dumb idols that you used to worship and that you used to follow around. So there is humility that is demanded by spiritual gifts because of who we once were. Then he reminds them, you know, in chapter 1, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble God has called, but He has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the things that are wise, and the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. 
and the things and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh would glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption as it is written. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. It is pure uh, grace by which the Spirit bestows upon us these gifts. We see number three this, that there is a unity in the gifts. Because in verse three, we go into this and we are... um, we don't know everything maybe that we need to know about this, but in verse 3, or that would be, we know everything God wants us to know, but we could use more information to understand exactly what Paul's dealing with here. But in verse 3, he says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. Now it could be that in following some of these idols in that day, that part of the things that they would chant or say is Jesus is a curse. Jesus anathema. But he goes on here in verse 3 and he says, And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit of God, Paul is telling us here, enables a person in let's say, in sincerity, in faith, and continually to confess Jesus as Lord. He's not saying here that a lost person cannot possibly say that Jesus is Lord. But what he is telling us here is that for the Christian, for the person who comes to embrace by faith, Christ as their Lord and Savior, it's a work of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus is Lord, is what we proclaim. It is the banner over us that we hold to. Back in that day, they were required to say that Caesar is Lord. But the Christians alone would say that Jesus is Lord, and there is no other besides He. So apparently there was this confession to some degree, in some ways, that Jesus is accursed. But that, that's not what the Holy Spirit of God does. The Holy Spirit of God enables the individual to cry out and to say that Jesus is Lord. You might want to write this reference down. John 16, verses 13 through 15. That is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. John 16, 13 through 15 says, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. You notice there that Jesus says he will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Christ. Christ, through the gospel, brings glory to God. So when the Spirit of God sanctifies us, sets us apart unto Christ, that is what we will do. We will glorify him. Now, let's look at our next point. Our next point is that there is diversity. All right, all these different idols are around. 
The Corinthians are quite aware of them. They've worshipped them and taken part in all of that. And now he comes to this next part, and I struggle with this. How do, Paul, what are you, why are you dealing with this? Why, why are you working into spiritual gifts this way? It seems like he's wanting to say that Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit, uh, enables a person to say that Jesus is Lord by faith, believing that. And then there are these diversities of gifts. But listen, it's the same Spirit. It's not a spirit of tongues. It's not a spirit of prophecy. It's not a spirit of giving. It's not a spirit of uh, helps. But it is the same spirit who gives the gifts to the church. So don't be confused with the pagan religions that you are used to. This same spirit is working among all of his people for the glory and for the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so kind of think about that as we go into this. You see in verses 4 through 6, sort of a progression here. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. You see the progression there? All right, now, notice this. What else do you see there? If there's a progression, but it mentions three different persons. Spirit, Son, and Father. You see the Spirit, you see the Lord, and you see God. This is a passage of Scripture that has for us the the Godhead, the Trinity. Spirit, Son, Father. It's in the reverse order in which we would naturally think of it, but it's really in a very sensible order. Because the gift, think of, think of it in this way. The Spirit of God gifts the church. He gives gifts to the church. Those gifts that are given to the church result in ministries taking place. The word for ministries here is the word diakonos. It is a word that we get the word deacon from. So there are gifts, then there is service or ministry in the church that takes place. And then, as a result of that ministry that takes place, God works in people's lives. He works in the life of the people who are ministering, and He works in the lives of the people who are ministered to. Okay? So look at it again. I want you to see that. That there are diversities of gifts. Then verse 3. There are diversities or differences of ministries. And then verse 6. And there are diversities of activities. And notice how verse 6 ends. But it is the same God who works all in all. Just like Paul would say. You might want to write this reference down in Colossians chapter 1. When he was um, going about warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, he says that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Then verse 29, he says, To this end I also labor, striving according to the working which works in me mightily. 
So Paul was working, doing what he was called to do. He was gifted as an apostle. He was called to be a preacher, called to be a teacher of the Gentiles. And he went about doing that. God then, um, in that ministry, worked in Paul mightily to do what he had called him to do. And then he worked in the people who heard the preaching of Paul to save some of them. It is the working of God, the activities that take place. It happens here, too. We have these sign-up sheets, and by the way, they're up one more day. They're up today. They're in the hallway, and they're for ministry teams. And you sign up on that ministry team, and you're like, man, I really like to, I really like to serve. I really like to serve in, by opening a door. I like to serve by setting out a food at a table. I like to serve by being in the sound booth working and ministering to the church in that way. I, I really like to lead singing. Uh, I like to teach. All right. So you get signed up on these on these ministry teams out here. And then there's these ministries in the church and you're able to go and to do those things and fulfill that ministry that's there. And then guess what God does? God, through your service and through the ministries here, works in you and works in the church. So that both are blessed because of the gift that God has given you, that the Spirit has given you. Does that make sense? So it's the Spirit's giving the gift. The ministries are done in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel of Christ, who died for our sins, was buried and rose again. And then... It is uh, diversity of activities because this same God is at work in us. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Because that's what this passage seems to be telling us. And that's the way it works out in everyday life in the church. Now let's go to point number number five. There's a church-wide benefit in each gift. Church-wide benefit in each gift. We find this in verse 7. Because it says there, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Alright, so there's this benefit. There's a common good that takes place. Let me give you a definition for a spiritual gift. Spiritual gift definition, this is homespun. If you don't like it, just blame me. Like I tell you sometimes, it's my fault. Uh, is a spiritual gift is a manifestation. That's a big word, isn't it? That's like a, a, the Spirit making Himself obvious. If something is manifested, it's made obvious. You can see it, okay? So it's a manifestation of the Spirit in the life of a believer that benefits the whole church. Alright, so again, I'll give you that definition. It is a manifestation of the Spirit in the life of a believer that benefits the whole church. Now you can see where I gather that from, verse 7. But the manifestation, that manifestation there is the gift, the different kind of gifts that the Spirit gives. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one 
for the profit of who? All. This profit is not a financial profit, but it is a spiritual profit. The, spirit, the spiritual gift which each one of you who are in Christ has been given was not given for your private enjoyment, but it was given for a public employment to put it out there for the church so that the church can gain and benefit from your gift. Now, look at verse 7 one more time. How many people have received a gift, a manifestation of the Spirit? Each one. Yep. You see it there? Each one. What would you say, Brother David? Every That's right. Every believer, each one. He's writing to the church here, and he says, each one for the profit of all. Now, Neglect of the body occurs when it isn't employed. 